This latest podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, Focal USA and the Council on Queen West. Also, be sure to register your email address on our website, centeroflesnation.com, for all our weekly updates directly to your inbox. Welcome to this podcast of Center of Lease Nation. This is your host, Pat LaRusso. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Anthony and Ed. Welcome back, gentlemen. Anthony, it's been a while since you've been on our show. How have you been keeping? How have you been starting your new year? Um, you know, I, I know our listeners were, uh, you know, starting to miss you there, bud. Yeah. Um, so I'll start off with this. Happy New Year to you guys. I know it's uh, it's been a while. It's just, uh, it's just that time of year uh, for me work-wise and just, you got a bunch of stuff going on in the new year and quick turnarounds with stuff, but I'm happy to be back into the swing of things, talking lease with my buds and uh, just excited because I don't know, I, I can only speak for myself, but when that calendar turns to the new year, it seems like everyone's just got one eye on the game ahead and then another eye on April, May. Right. And that kind of gets the juices flowing for myself as a fan, because uh, this is why we watch. Right, boys. Like this is a it's the it's the it's the home stretch now. Games every game won and lost now seems like that much more meaningful. So the emotions are heightened and uh, and I'm just excited for it. Not to don't want to get too into it right now, but like I already seen some Winnipeg Jets fans basically saying this is their Stanley Cup on uh on thursday when the when the jets come to town so it, it's just that time of year where uh every game's gonna have its own narrative i guess and ed how about yourself doing good just you know happy to be on yeah it's uh <laughs> it, it, it's funny because like in least nation it doesn't matter if they're winning if they're losing there's always something isn't there um, I don't even know where to begin. So let's start with last night. Obviously, Matt Murray comes into the game, gets, you know, gets the start at home. Um, probably should have had a couple of the goals that he let in. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily blame him for, you know, for the, for the first shorthanded goal where I thought, you know, Mitch didn't hustle back after the puck bounced over his stick. It was just, it was just, it, just a bunch of mistakes on that one goal. Um, but there were a couple softies and then obviously, you know, Samsonov came in and, and, and really won in the game. I guess I want to get your thoughts on how the game played out last night and, you know, and then we'll kind of shift into who should get the next start. Um, I kind of know what my thoughts are. Um, I'll throw it to you, Anthony, cause it's been your first podcast this year. So we'll give you the honor of, uh, you know, jumping on, on jumping on first. All right. So. Let's let's just start off with this. Do I, I think that the I think the goaltending has been when you look at it as a whole, I think the goal it's hard to not be happy with the goaltending that the Leafs got out of this duel. Um if I were to tell you that in January of twenty twenty three that at the beginning of the year that Matt Murray would have played already nineteen games out of the possible, what, 43? So basically 50% of the starts 
and he's uh, a 273 goals against average and a 911 save percentage. Everyone would have said, "Yep, sign me up for that." Leafs can be uh, can 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 win with that type of goaltending. Um, if an 11 and five record on on top. Uh, if I were to tell you that Ilya Samsonov was in eight, played 18 games already, he's won 13 of them. Um, and he's got a 2.24 uh, goals against and a 916 save percentage. These would have been, everyone would have said, yep, sign me up for, for that. I'll, I'll take that every day of the week and, uh, uh, going into the home stretch of the, the regular season. And all that being said, we're noticing more and more soft goals being let in, specifically with Matt Murray. Um, is it worrisome? Yeah. Right. It's worrisome because this is kind of around the time that our former goaltender started to hit the skids. Right. And uh, and and Jack Campbell was letting in goals left and right and, and just just not really not really making the save to settle the team down, which is a little disheartening because I did think that Matt I do I do think that that's one of the reasons why the Leafs chose Matt Murray is that because he's a guy that could kind of recognize the moment being that guy who's won in big playoff, uh, big playoff series. And again, this isn't to say that I don't think Matt Murray is done at all. I just think that it's just a, it's a, it's a slow stretch for him. It's just something that he's going to have to deal with. Every goalie does, right. It's a matter of his response. His last five games have gone 808, 944, 970, 882 in Boston, and then a 500, obviously, four goals on eight shots last night. Now, everything comes in context also, right? That 500 obviously is going to crush his, shoot, his, his safe percentage. But with that being said, I think that he has played well enough at least in the previous four games to that, like, I can't really lay the loss at the, at, at his feet in Boston. I really can't lay the loss at his feet in Seattle. And maybe people would say that's treating a goalie with kid gloves. Like if Jack Campbell let in some of the goals that he, that Matt Murray let in in Boston on Saturday, would I be saying the same thing? I would say yes, because Jack it, like every every game comes with context. I don't think that the goalie has been the problem in the two losses that Matt Murray has against Boston and his other loss against Seattle. Seattle, they played awful. That was one of their worst games that, that they played all season. And then in Boston, it was almost like the Leafs just kind of basically took five steps backwards and became the, the Leafs of old as well, where they just were get, being careless with the puck at the wrong times. And good teams like Boston will burn you. I said this to the group of people I was watching the game with. Boston will just, every turnover, every turnover that you give Boston, they will turn it back on you and at least, at the very least, get a scoring chance. They might not score on all of them. It's impossible to score on all of them. But they will make you, everyone in, this, in their seats go, like, take that gasp, right? Because they are just so good at quickly turning it around on you. So... If I don't think I, I personally, like you said, Pat, I'd personally give Sam some of the next start, but right now I don't have anything like to, I don't have any grand statements on Matt Murray right now. Right. I think again, his, his judgment will be into April 
March, April, post trade deadline basically is how how we'll be judging Matt Murray. Is he he's just got to be healthy right now? Health has been quite good since he's come back, right? He's followed a routine. There hasn't been a scare. He's he's battled through contact, right? There's been lots of times where he's had to deal with guys in his crease, people running into him. I forget, maybe was it the Boston game or a couple games ago where someone really took a hard, uh, like slid hard into him right on his knee. I'm like, gosh, shit, here we go. And he got up just fine, right? And maybe they're hiding the injury, who knows? But I think right now he's he's been what what better than what we would have signed up for at the beginning of the year. And Ed, how about yourself? I'm I'm in greens. I mean, I'm not raising any you know red flags at the moment with Murray. Uh I I I I agree completely with Anthony. I mean, the team in front of him the the last few games have has not uh been as defensively sound. There's been two lacks of coverage um just sloppy too many turnovers uh, i mean and yeah a team like boston is the last team you want to give up turnovers to i mean you don't want to give up turnovers to any team but you know team a team of boston's caliber always seems to find a way to make you pay um it, it's i think historically unfortunately as far, long as I can remember being a Leaf fan, January is always kind of one of those. It, it's kind of like you get the blues and the, the team seems to always end up in these little ruts. Um, I, I, I truly believe that if they can just get back to the structure sound defense that they were playing prior to the holiday break and what uh, has made them successful so far, um, <coughs> excuse me. I, I think that will help both goaltenders' causes. Right now, you definitely got to go with Sammy for the next start. Um, he came in, played outstanding in relief of Murray. Um, yeah, and right now, this is the time for Sammy to make his name and take the reins and run with it. Um, we've seen that back and forth pretty 50-50 all year while they've both been healthy. So it, at this point, you really want to see one of them really focus and lock in and, you know, say, this is my net to lose. I'm going to, uh, I want to be the one that carries the team. So uh, that'll only, you know, that'll only do good things in my eyes. I mean, if Sammy gets on a heater, it's just going to motivate uh, Murray to, try to win the net back and they they have such a good commodity so far i think that they play well off of each other and i think it yeah i i really truly think that it, they'll support each other and it'll only make them both better yeah for me i could and you guys know this I'm, I'm notoriously bad for this in our group chats i'm always like avoid the trees look at the forest um and i think when the goalies were at their best, the team was at their best defensively. There's been a regression, and I'm not saying this to peg this on Morgan Riley, but active, you know, one of my favorite follows on Twitter is Active Stick. Um, in the 15 games prior to Riley coming back from injury, so November 22nd to December 28th, the Leafs went 12 2 and 1, 
They had a 3.8 goals for and a 2.13 goals against. Since Morgan Riley's return, from, so from December 29th to January 16th, nine games, the Leafs have gone 4-4-1. Four, four, and one. Uh, Their goals for has dropped to 3.44, but then their goals against has jumped up by a, over a, a goal to 3.33 goals against. So there was something. Todd, sorry, Todd, sorry to interrupt there. What days did you say? Because I just want you, you made me think of something there. Was it November, December 29th? Uh, November 22nd to the 28th were 15 games stretched without oh, yeah. Riley. And, and when did and Riley the 20, come back? The 29th to the 16th. Okay, perfect. Go on. Sorry, go on with your point. I, I, I'll, so, I'll, I have a, some stats there that I'll add to after, after your major point. Yeah, so I, I struggle with it. And I don't, like I said, this isn't to dump on Morgan. But there was something about his addition that made the rest of the team feel like they could ease up. And like we already know that Morgan Riley is probably not the best defensive defenseman. It, it is what it is. You know, he is who he is, you know. Um, but I think that there's still as a collective still a need to, to buckle down defensively. And it's funny because like everyone keeps saying, oh, if they tighten up defensively, then they're going to lose their offense. But that clearly wasn't the case. Right, they were scoring more, but they were playing better defense. So it does lend to more offense when you're playing better defensively, because then you're able to get the transition going. You know, you're spending less time in the defensive zone. Obviously, you're spending more less time in the defensive zone. You know, it just it leads to more positive outcomes, right? So I don't like. Yes, has there been some soft goals? Has Samsonov led in some soft goals over that same stretch? Has Matt Murray led in some soft goals? Yes. No denying it, not arguing that. But when you allow your opponent more and more high danger chances, the likelihood of the result ending in a positive for you drops dramatically. So the Leafs need to go back to what they were doing, funneling shots to the boards, funneling shots to the point where they're less like where you could, you know, there's there's less chances for a rebound. You can control the, you know, you control that. The, the, the other team's cycle, which they were doing really well in that 15-game stretch from, you know, the end of November till December 28th. All right. There wasn't, like, if you go back and rewatch some of those games, you could see, like, the, the other teams were struggling to get even offense going. They need to get back to that. They need to just get back to just supporting their goalies, clearing out in front of the net, not trying to limit the boneheaded mistakes like we saw last night with Mitch Marner on a couple of occasions um you know a misplay by him directly led to goal two goals against the one on the on the shorthanded play which is unforgivable from you know from a one that if you you know the puck bounces off his bounces over his stick he doesn't seem to hustle back as as much as he probably should have and the puck's in the end of the net in the back of the net so it's it's those situations that I find more irritating because when people look at a score and say 5-4, they imme- the immediate re- reaction, and it's a lazy one in my books, is we look at the goaltending. Oh, the goaltender led him four goals. Well, yeah, yes. But if it's like a, a rebound or a two-on-one on when, when you're shorthanded and the guys aren't hustling or aren't playing defense, you know, you yes, blame should go, blame should go right across the board. You know, but then when the team's winning, it's like, oh, look how great the team is. You know, no one, no, it, like the goaltender's always the, the last person the team ever gets, you know, 100% of their due credit. Um, and I think in the, in, in Toronto, and I had a, an interesting conversation with, you know, Justin Borden and the guys the other day, 
is we are really hard on our goaltenders in Toronto. We, oh, yeah. you know, we, when, when the, when the goalie steals the game, it's like, Oh, look how great the team is. I, I... Sorry. Sorry, Pavel. Sorry. I was just going to say, I, I completely agree. You cut out there for a second, but like, I, I do agree with the, the fact that this market doesn't treat, treat their goalies with the, uh, the, but we're finicky. The, the easy, the, yeah, yeah, I would say we're that's finicky. Like, it's funny word. who we, who we like. Everyone loved Jack Campbell because everyone just loved him. He was, you know, very easy to like, but he wasn't oh, yeah. all that good, no. right? And and I think that the louder portion of the fan base, they held back on their criticism. Like the guys that really wanted to see Samsonov and Murray fall flat on their face. So they could potentially get what they wanted in, in the firing of Kyle Dubas. They held those bullets back. Right? And then and then those same people go back into their cave when things start to improve again. And then they're right back at it. You know, like Twitter just goes on fire when Matt Murray goes yeah. has an off game or lets in a soft goal. Everything comes with with the context. And and I'll say this, like and, and Pat, we've had lots of in my time of being away from this podcast, I was working and stuff. I've still been like semi-active in our group chat. And we've always had, like, we've had this discussion, I feel like countless times over the last few weeks, actually, is that, the, uh, and we always kind of touch on this on the pod as well, is that the media, like, I don't think they actually watch the games. The, the Toronto media, they're not watching the game. They're watching, they're looking for a narrative. I know we were talking about the goalies, but last night, and I didn't see this clip yet, but I believe it was a sports center hit. And I, and I trust, I've seen it from multiple Twitter accounts. But like last night, that um, I, I, I'll say, I, maybe I'll pull up the tweet to see if I had it, but it was in reference to the way that Nylander um, kind of didn't help out in the shorthanded goal last oh, night. Craig. On, on, yeah, and Craig Button, Craig Button went on Sports Center and said something. I might have bookmarked it, so this might end up for bad radio if I don't actually have it saved. But basically, what was happening was like this person quoted what Craig Button said on Sports. Yeah, here it is. And Craig Button goes in and he's like, "Well, Nylander didn't help out in any way, but you actually watch the clip, and it's Nylander who's busting his ass back, and Marner who." didn't bust his ass back after giving the puck away on the dive who and it's his guy who ends up scoring on the rebound so we'll get into the players and all that stuff later but that's just an example of a point where they're not watch they're not actually watching no no and they watch the Mer- game we've had this conversation when they, Ma- they clearly watch the game anthony i think that it, it doesn't it go back to that whole argument of the eye test that your mind will well, 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 your, well, your yeah, mind will tell your eyes what it them. sees. Yeah, but but so then like what are they watching then is what I'm asking. They're watching because, the same like, thing as because we are. I, yeah, so they're so then exactly my point is that like why why is Craig Button saying that it was Nylander? It's the same reason why people Nylander people just dislike Nylander, right? Like every year he's improved, every year yeah, he's so, proven, especially the last couple know. that he's producing way above his contract and there are still people that want to sh- make him the first one that goes out of the four right if you go it that's the other thing that people don't realize is it's there is it's it's actually a psychological term i forget what it is it's 
it's a it's like confirmation bias. You're you will, yeah, that's no, a great. No, it's not great confirmation term. bias, the, but there be. is a bias, and your your eyes will see what your mind is telling them, and it it actually almost works in reverse. Like, are, in are you talking about cases. like unconscious bias? Unconscious bias, right? So people already have it in their head that Neander doesn't play defense. So that's all you're gonna see, right? Like, it, it, we do it. That's why when people argue with me about you know the eye test or analytics, I'm like, you need both. Because your eyes will fail you. Numbers don't lie. Right? And numbers don't lie when you look at Nylander's defensive numbers over Mitch's. There's a reason why Nylander has, has had, historically speaking, better defensive numbers. But that's never what's talked about. Because Marner plays on the penalty kill. Yes, he does really well on it. But, but we're more forgiving when it comes to Marner. Because our brains tell us that he's so much more superior so that's all you're going to see you're you're not going to see the play last night so I, I it's not i i think we need to be careful that i think it becomes a very lazy narrative that the media doesn't watch with their doesn't watch the games or it's human it's we all do it we all have a certain bias like if you have a certain player or whatever it is you're going to have a blind spot for it it's human nature yep and like to tie this all back to the goaltending is, is that Friedman was going on the, the panel and saying that does, does uh, Murray have a, a lean to his right side? And then he went on the radio today and said a few expert, like a few people that he trusts goaltending wise have texted him about this and, and all this stuff. And look, like maybe like he, he does, he's been beat on that short side a few times. I don't know enough about goaltending to, to explain them to, to understand the mechanics of the way that he's standing. I know that he's played out of his mind really to start the year and was more than what we could expect. And now he's in a lull. The other day with goaltending, you end up with kind of where your average goal is, right? Goaltending is so finicky. We're looking, we're, we, we've seen it countless times. Why do goalies in Carolina always succeed? It's not because they have, they're feeding them a special type of water. Or why do goalies, when they leave Carolina, go to a team like Detroit and get waived, like Alex Nedeljkovic did earlier this week? Peter Morazic, another great example, right? Why, are the, why is this happening? It's, it's because the system that teams play has a lot to do with it, right? Jack Campbell, another great example. So of, of a guy who left the system of a strong insulated defensive uh, unit uh, to a much weaker one in Edmonton and is now one of the worst goalie contracts in the league. And I'll have some stats to, to, to your point, Pat, that kind of align with the timeline that you're talking about here. But between from November 1st to December 28th, that was before the Leafs, uh, before Morgan Riley came back, the goals against expected goals against per 60, this is a, as of natural stat trick, all strength. So this includes um, like power play, uh, penalty kill, five on five, any any point in the game, basically. Ilya Samsonov uh, faced the lowest amount of expected goals per minute out of the 
70 goalies eligible for the for the minute restriction. So I put I've just put 180 minutes. So basically three games. If you played three games in in that two month span, basically you were in involved in the sample size. And Ilya Samsonov basically got the best defense out of out of all 70 goalies. And if you look at Matt Murray, I believe Matt Murray. Let me find him. He was 43rd. So actually the Leafs were quite significantly worse as a defensive team in front of Matt Murray in, in that period. But when you look at goals saved above average, which is like a stat of how well they did, Matt Murray was a positive goal saved above average of 0.8.83. And Elias Samsonov was a 0.38, meaning Matt Murray actually performed better than, he, than the, the defense in front of him could have led to in, in that period. Now, when we go from December 29th, which is when Riley comes back until now, if we look at that, um, Elias Samsonov again is seventh out of the, so 180 minute restriction again, there's 47 goalies in this sample here. Of those 47 goalies, Elias Samsonov is seventh best. Uh, he, he was seventh ranked, sorry, in terms of 2.49 goals, uh, expected goals against per minute he's faced in the 223 minutes that he's played since December 29th. Matt Murray is, where is he here? I'll find him, sorry, bad radio like always, is 11th. He was 2.68. Now, why we might've seen the least sputter a little bit is if you look at their goal saved above average, which is basically an, kind of a, a slightly different formula of goal saved above expected, Ilya Samsonov is a negative 0.12 and Matt Murray is, where is he again? He is up negative 0.62. So right now the goalies have kind of just not been that great. They've just been middle of the pack, let's call it, in terms of relative to the defense that they've been getting. So when you really look at it, the Leafs defense has kind of struggled. In, since December 29th, and the goaltending has kind of regressed to average. So add those two things together, and you get a team who hasn't been able to string 10 wins in a row. So when we look at all this stuff, and people want to talk about measuring stick games, and ooh, the Leafs didn't look good in three games in a row against their division rivals. Well, you know what? Like they played Boston at the end of a three three games in four nights with travel. If you read Joshua Cloak's piece on the athletic, he did a great piece of like following the Leafs for a week. Like that game in Detroit, the Leafs got into Detroit at 2 a.m., right? And and like they were at the rink the next morning at 11. Like they're not getting full rest. And then afterwards they had an off day in Boston. The dads are there. You, I know it's a good trip to have, but like you got a big game going on, right? And there's a lot of distractions and stuff. And at the end of the day, they were a minute away of, of getting a point in Boston at the end of a three and four against a team that doesn't lose at home and is on pace to smash, basically, the NHL points record. And then again, they battled back against the team. Mind you, Florida was on a back-to-back, -back, which was a little concerning for the least that they didn't fully dominate out of this gate. But when your goalie lets in four goals and eight shots, what do you expect? Right. It's 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 tough. But what they did was they battled back. And we've asked this, Pat, and I and I and I've been saying this actually for a while. 
I would, and Ed, maybe you can chime in here and, and let me know your thoughts, but I have, I will judge this team. The only thing that I really want to see from this team out of the regular season that I'm not 100% convinced will translate to the playoffs. Like I need to see them do this for a long stretch to finish off for me to feel comfortable is how they come back in games that they are down. When they are chasing the game, I want to see how good they are at really make, putting the other team on their heels because we've seen them close out games. That narrative is kind of squashed where you're up 2-1, 3-1 in a playoff game. Can you close out the lead? And they've done that. They did that against Tampa. I don't recall them really blowing a lead. The only time was game six in Tampa, and that was the five-on-three power play. Right. And if you remember, they were actually down by a goal or two. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. But in that game six against Tampa, weren't they down at one point and then they came back? I can check. Say yes. If, if you can check, like I, I believe so. But they came back. At the, I remember they came back at the beginning of the, at the end of the second. And then that's when they got into penalty trouble in the third. And then Kucherov scored and then point scored in overtime, obviously. But again, I don't. We, we don't have to check a hundred to to validate it. But that's kind of just my off the cuff memory. But all of this to say is that they came back in a game where they were down four two and a lot, not a lot of five on five hockey, and they end up coming back and getting two points. So for me, I'm going to take that as a positive, and I hope that I can just see more of that. I want to see more of them coming in waves when they're down goals because that's what's kept this team out of the second round for a long time now is that another team will score first in game seven or in an elimination game and the Leafs are just not able to get a foothold in the game when they're chasing it because you got Matthews and Marner trying to squeeze their sticks a little bit they haven't converted on the power play Pat you've referenced uh, active oak a lot he had a tweet out a, a few days ago where he listed out the least power play record, like their conversion on the power play in elimination games where they've the least have had a chance to win the series. I think they have one power play goal in like 10 times that they've had a chance to close out a series. That's not good. So those are the things that I'm looking at going forward and, and, and seeing if they've improved. It's not necessarily what most mainstream media members are looking for is that their team defense, all oh, they need to add a big bruising defender, all that. I really think that they just need to focus on the actual things that have been hurting them in the past few years in the playoffs specifically. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Ed, but kind of just, uh, I, t I took it in a slightly different direction, but. <laughs> no, I do agree with you, Anthony. I mean, that is one thing that the Leafs need to, I mean, show. And I think this season we've seen it a bit more. I was trying to find the stat, um, but this year, like they, Last year, it seemed the dog, them once they got down, it, it, they didn't come back to win. But this year, it, they've made significant strides and improved. They have been that. better. You're right. And, I, I do recall seeing that record. That they're, then, they're, they're like, they've come back quite a few times. Yeah. If I want to say they're top three or top five in the league this year for comeback victories. I mean, what the the back and forth with the Boston game on Saturday, even last night's game with Florida. I mean, coming down, you know, going down. I I was less 
I would have been less comfortable seeing or confident in seeing them making the comeback the way they were playing and the way things were going last night. Um, had Matthews not scored with like 1.1 left in that second period, that, that really was, uh, the, where the tide turned for Toronto there. I, I don't know if they necessarily would have completed that comeback had Matthews not gotten that goal at the end of the second. And I mean, that's something that they've been victimized on a few times this year too. Like, and in, in recent seasons is those like last minute or, you know, right at the end of a period or right off the beginning of a period, like it's either the last minute or the first minute of a period that they get scored on. And, you know, it's, it, it haunts them, but I, I, I've seen a bit more of that resilience and that the ability to, you know, bounce back. Now, hopefully it can translate, you know, beyond the regular season. And if, I mean, that, that can only bode well, if we can get that, not the same token, it's always better to, if we can be always the one in front that, I mean, it's better, but I mean, at the same time to, to truly grow, you gotta have that ability. Yeah, and and I'll just pull this up. Stat, I'll pull a stat up just to to kind of piggyback on your point there, Ed. So I'll I I did. There's two settings in natural stat trick and Pat. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this once you hear these numbers because it's actually very intriguing. Take a guess, guys, at who leads the league in expected goals for percentage, or let's just say expected goals for actually, who leads the league. And expected goals for per 60 when they are trailing in the game, all strengths, like not just five on five, power play, penalty kill. Who do you think leads the league? This kind of seems like a trick question. So I was going to say Toronto, but I'm going to go Boston. Close. Boston is sixth. Carolina is first. So when they are trailing in a game, Carolina gathers – performs at an expected goal four percent uh, goal four rate of 4.05 new jersey in second edmonton in third dallas in fourth new york rangers in fifth boston sixth the leafs are all the way down in 14th but when you do when you look at that same stat when they are just down by a goal the same group of teams are kind of up in the top 10 the leafs actually drop down to 17th now, the differences here, the, the slightly diff, in, more interesting part for me is, is that when you looked at expected goal for percentage, which is like it factors in goals against, expected goals against, the Leafs are actually ninth when they're trailing in the league, Boston in second, just as a reference point. And when they're just down by one goal, the Leafs drop all the way down to 16th. And Boston is in fifth. So the Leafs have actually been able to come back in these games, Ed, like you're saying. And I and I now that I've gone through this kind of little exercise, I'd like to find out what the actual number is. I don't know how we'd find out how many times they've come back and won. But the numbers are showing that all strengths, the and maybe I should just narrow this down to five on five because we know in the playoffs sometimes it's just hard to get power plays. But the Leafs have just not been performing as as strong as I would have thought when they're down, given that I know that they're coming back in these games. And to me, that just sort of, it, it, it speaks to what's failed them before. 
and Ed, you weren't on this podcast at the time, but I rem- vividly remember after the Tampa series was over, me and Pat talked when we went on here and we talked about how little they were able to create in front of Tampa's net in that third period when they were down 2 one. It, it, it was a little, con- it was concerning. Same went for the Montreal series when they were down in the Montreal series in game seven. These things are, these are things that look, I know it's, I'm sure it's harder to score and come back in the playoffs when there's just, they're letting more shit go. Teams get desperate. They're going to pack in front of the net. They're not going to let you to the middle of the ice, but it is still, if I had to pick one thing that was concerning about this team, it's these numbers that I was sharing because I don't see improvement in being able to come back in games when you're, when you're, when you're trailing, like if you're putting these up, these numbers up when you're trailing, you need to be, you, you need to, you need to show a little bit more improvement there. If you think that you're going to be able to come back in a playoff game is basically what I'm trying to say. And if you actually, and just as I was saying that I, I, I revised the numbers to just five on five and you guys, it, it, it does kind of make me eat my words a little bit. The Leafs are fifth in expected goals for per, per 60 when they're trailing in a game at five on five. So they go from like 14th, if you include all strengths to fifth. So maybe it's more of a realistic stat to just look at five on five, because if you don't, then you can factor in teams like, like a ref could put you on the penalty kill, even though you're down a goal. Right. And then how like you're not expected to score when you're shorthanded and all that stuff. So I know I've just been rambling on a little bit on this point, but I, I do think it's important. Because, like we always say, the, the the criticism has to come from some sort of valid reason, and it seems like most most media members are not criticizing this team for the right reason, and that's just something to think about. So I don't know if you guys have any other worries or concerns just going forward. I know we want to talk about Marner a little bit more and like some of the giveaways and stuff like that, but is there anything overarching? That, that that you guys might want to add to this. It, so it, it's funny when you get into the giveaways. Yeah, before we go into the giveaways, it's funny that you say that, Anthony. And and I had a conversation with a family member of mine a couple of days ago, and he's like, you know, the Leafs need to improve their defense because they're coughing up leads. And I I had to pause, and I'm like, but I don't remember even when they had their really shitty start in October, to, and even a little bit into no, early November. Did I remember them coughing up lead and eventually losing the game? So there's still that. Like, you talk to the average hockey fan who either watches the odd game or reads the box scores or kind of follows, um, you know, whatever's trending um, on social media. And there's still people that carry this narrative the least don't play defense. They'll have shitty games. and, And we've talked about this on our show. When this team plays defense and when they are putting in the effort, they, they've gotten away. Like, it's completely night and day from the running gun that we were used to under Mike Babcock. Like, if you haven't seen a structural change since Sheldon Keefe has come on, tell me you're not watching the game. Tell me you're not watching the games. Do you, do you want to know where they rank when they're up by one and up by when they're up yes. by one? And, and yes, I, th- I would like to actually put some numbers to this. Yes. So when they are lead, when when a team is leading at five on five, the Leafs are eighth ranked in the league in terms of expected goals against sixty, which means 
They're eight. Yeah. So they're eighth in the league in expected goals against per 60, just when they're leading the game. Yeah. But if we narrow that down to just when they're up one, so when the Leafs are up a goal in the game, they are fifth in the league in expected yes. goals against. They're up there with New Jersey, Boston. Actually, New Jersey and Boston are like half a goal per minute expected ahead, half an expected goal ahead of them per minute. Like they're the class of the league right now, but the Leafs are still up there at fifth, right? And they're 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 doing it. I think that would say that aside from goaltending being part a factor there, that they are actually um, doing quite well at at protecting leads, right? Yeah. Like I I I'm with you there, Pat. Like I, I believe on the radio I saw someone like I think it was the Steve Dangle podcast or something that they said like someone said it, and I don't know if they were a hundred being a hundred percent correct or not. And I definitely know they're not correct this time, but I don't know if they meant to say it, but they basically said that, yeah, the Leafs blew the lead in Boston on Saturday. I was like, I'm pretty sure they went, were down 3-2, and then Matthew scored, and then they sc- Boston took the lead in the last minute. Like, the Leafs didn't blow any lead. They were up one nothing, and then I think they were up 2-1. They blew it, like, in the second period, but they didn't blow the lead in the third. So maybe that's what they meant, but I do agree with you in general that it's how things are framed, right? It's all about context. It's an it's an unfair rap, yeah, that they get. But I think since you mentioned that, Pat, I do think that we should talk about the giveaways now because you because Boston does lead into kind of that kind of of conversation. Yeah, that kind of conversation. Yeah. So once so that leads to like a a major pain point for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that mistakes are going to happen in a game. It's it it, it it happens. What I find that's bothersome in a lot of situations is the giveaways um, that are not forced, right? Like there are so many times where, you know, they go for the extra pass and it comes up the other way. When just dumping it into the corner and trying to start the cycle again probably would have been the best option. You know, it's the, it, and I, you're starting to see some of these mental lapses in the defensive side of the game as well. You know, where a simple just chip over the blue line, force a team to regroup, you know, you regroup. It just, it, it, it's that extra pass or that extra attempt um, that uh, I, I, I think when they were at their best, we didn't see as much of it. Maybe because they were winning, no one really cared. But now that they're playing about 500 hockey, it's become a factor. I don't. I once again, it's all about context and and kind of a certain lens that you'll have based on a, a current situation. Um, but I do want to get your takes on this, and then obviously we do want to touch on the Sheldon Keith fine. So I don't want to beat this topic mm. too too much. But I do want to get your thoughts on the giveaways, and I'll leave it. Well, I'll let Ed run with it first. Yeah, go 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 ahead, Ed. I mean, <clears throat> uh, for me, it, it's it's just been one of those painful things to watch it just it, it's been the same parties on a regular basis i keep doing it and it's and it's just the the gaffes are just they they put me at a loss for words <laughs> um it, it's he, marner has been one of the focal points for as brilliant of a player he is uh, these un i don't know it, it's getting too cutesy and uh there's like a arrogance to it 
and I, I don't know, like watching some of the the lack of cohesion in a couple of the, the games lately, where it just seems like everybody's just out of out of sync and um, just uh, with uh, it, yeah, sorry, my train of thought derailed there. Um, I think what you're trying to say is, is just like, they're not recognizing the moment, right? It's just, they're not, they're not, they're not understanding. They're not understanding what, when, when the time to just hold on to the puck and take care of it, as opposed to making that slightly more risky play that they're, that they normally have the freedom to do. And and the system kind of, advocates for that let's yeah call it it's edge. kind of like a combination of arrogance and overconfidence like it's just like they have this extreme like you look at them on any given night like the the our core four and even like guys like bunting and some of our guys in the bottom six like they, they've got tremendous talent but it and i mean yeah another one is morgan riley too it's just they have all this talent and it's, but it's, they get too cute. It's one too many passes when they, they should have gone for the more simpler game. It's overcomplicating things. Instead of they, they have, uh, you know, there's a clear situation where countless times I've seen where the, the best option and the smart option is put the puck on the net because the way the the angle the the shooter's coming in from or however the play is kind of developing you can see if you put it on net you're gonna have a juicy rebound you've got guys like almost perfectly positioned but it'd be like playing nhl 23 you just on easy you just you see the play unfolding and it's like oh here's a gimme goal or at least a gimme legitimate scoring threat and instead it's it's that you know overthinking and okay, I'm gonna try this. You know, I'm gonna break in the zone and do this cutesy play and drop the puck at the blue line for the guy trailing me. But oh wait, it's no one on my team trailing me. And next thing you know, the opposition's going the other way, and it ends up either a, a you know a high percentage, high danger scoring opportunity, or it ends up in the back of our net. Um, like what that we got burned like that. Uh, Thanks to Lindell's shorthanded goal last night in Florida in the Florida game. It just it, there's just it's brain farts and laps of just laps lapses that just it, it, it can be easily just avoided just simplifying the game. Um, and I think in this time, like during these kind of ruts that the team gets, and you see, you know, it's kind of affected everything from the net out. And I mean, our offense hasn't dried up complete at, with the exception of a couple really just terrible performances. But uh, yeah, it's one of those things. It's you just the best bet sometimes is just simplifying. And when you're overcomplicating things, it leads to you know all this kind of all these turnovers and just easily avoided situations. Yep. I, I I agree with you, Ed, to to some to some point to some degree. I would say that I don't know if I would characterize it as 
as a, as a sort of arrogance. I would say that it's just, um, it's a, it's a, it's just, I, and I wouldn't even say overconfidence in a way. I think it would be, because that to me is just like on the coach. It's on your coach to say, like, hey, we're not doing what we normally would do on a Tuesday night against Minnesota or Florida, right? Connor Timmons makes that pass. Look, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. He turns around and he makes a no-look kind of, tries to whip it across pass, and Boston make, makes you pay. I think that is an example. And and Galchenyuk is that Galchenyuk pass in overtime, very similar in the sense that that is an example where the coach needs to step in and say, like, guys, like, this is what we're doing. Everything goes deep. We're going to go, like, and, and I don't usually agree with Jeff O'Neill on this point, but to, he used the term live to fight another day. That I think the least need to kind of keep that sort of mentality when it comes to these close tight one goal games where it just it leaves you up to the big gap let's go back to Kerfoot in game six the drop pass where Brody doesn't pick it up and Palat goes down and scores that those are the fine margins of a game where it's just the more it's just kills every piece of good morale that you can have in a tight game right nothing should be given when you're playing the least is kind of the mentality that i'd hope they take don't give them anything let them beat you because if you really think about it and this is re rehashing the past but if you really go back and you and you were to replay all those elimination games and you were to look back and say to the least if they just kept that mentality of like let's let them beat us then we beat ourselves. You'd like to think that law of averages come like comes to play here and the Leafs maybe win even 50% of the elimination games that they played. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then all, and then you go back and they win some of those games. And we're not even talking about the greater stories at, at, at hand here where whether, whether the core is staying together or the GM's getting extended or the coach getting fired and all this stuff. If they've won some of those games, we wouldn't even be talking about that. Yep. It's, it is those gaps. It's the Dermot gaff in game six against Montreal and OT. It's the Galchenyuk gaff in game five. It's the Marner giveaway to Gallagher in game seven and he goes down and scores a week one on Campbell. It's um, excuse me. It's the it's the Kerfoot drop pass in game in game six against Tampa. It's it's those things that have stopped you from achieving so greatness, so to speak. And again, it showed it reared its ugly head on on Saturday against Boston because good teams will always make you pay. Like I said earlier, Boston, Tampa. They will, at the very least, if they don't score, make you go, holy shit, they almost scored. And even that is enough to turn the tide in a game, especially when you're on the road and the crowd gets back into it and stuff like that. They need to start thinking that every time the puck's on your stick, it matters that much more, especially in in an instance where Tavares gives that puck away at the end of the Boston game where you have control, clear control. This isn't a team that's forechecking you hard and you just couldn't make a play on it. It's like, 
when you have control and there's no four checkers, you should be getting out of the zone every time, or at least 90% of the time. So I think for my, from my instance, when it comes to the giveaways, it's, it's mainly just understanding the stakes and understanding when and when you can't do something. And uh, it's just, it's, it's that simple. It comes down to, are you making the right decision given every uh, circumstance that's at play, right? And, I, and I, I've had a lot of coaches playing uh, sports in the past where it is like, are you prepared to be down a goal? Are you prepared to be up a goal? Are you prepared to be winning three nothing? Are you prepared to be losing three nothing? Are you mentally prepared for all those different situations? And if you are, what are you going to do in those situations? And are they advantage? Are they going to help the team win? So those are the types of things that these guys need to just start to put a little bit more emphasis on, especially as the games get more important. And Pat, I'll 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 leave that kind of final point to you on the giveaways because I know you you kind of brought this up initially. So if you want yeah. to tie it up. Yeah, no, I, I, my big thing is, is a lot of it, it's the unforced errors that I think rub me the wrong way, right? Like, it's like, why didn't you just chip it over yeah. the blue line? Why did, yeah, why you did you force the pass that wasn't there? Or, you know what I mean? Like, if you, don't, you know, attempt a shot and it, it's easy, it's easy just to jump in. It's easy to look back and say, oh, that pass wasn't there. It's just like, you, that's, a, that's more of a hindsight thing. Like, what are, that you need to decide what what the motive of every time you have the puck is as a team in the dressing room before you get out for a third period when you're up well, a goal. Like, I, I find that when you're it's forcing an, plays and plays thing, don't have purpose, right? Like I think with a That's lot a of good it, word. When, the, when they're playing clean hockey, every pass, every body check, every you know, switch up on the play or every time, you know, someone decides they're going to jump the zone early, you know what I mean? It had a purpose, right? Like it's, it, and it's the same problem with the power play, right? And, and I don't want to harp on the power play because I do want to touch on Sheldon Keith getting fined and, and, and some of the other irregularities we're seeing in the officiating. Um, I guess this will be my final thought is there are times when, especially on the power play, where we know what's coming. Like, you know, we knew that when Mitch needed the goal, the puck was going to go to him. Or when Matthews needed the goal, the puck was... like, It plays have to come naturally. But when you start to show your hand, then it forces those unnecessary errors, right? Like, how many times have we had this conversation, Anthony, on this podcast, um, or even in our team chat, where we... And I don't want to be, you know, harping on Mitch... Um, but he does that little button hook at the blue line. How many times does that come back to bite Toronto? Or let's even go back to Morgan Riley. How many times have we seen a boneheaded play, you know, not being able to read the play coming back, you know, where he maybe pinched too aggressively. We saw, we've seen it with Justin Hall where, you know, they, they're, they get too aggressive on the pinch or, you know, it's the behind the back passes when I just chip and check get the play moving forward again would probably have been the better option. Those are the stuff that bother me the most, right? It's, it, I get it. Like I yeah. said, you know, you go for a I, shot. I, I would disagree a little bit on you, that. You because waffle. it's like, those are your good players. Like you want them to keep making plays. 
right? It's it's. But it's they can't the, be telegraphed. The, where it bites you. Okay. Yeah. That that that's fair. Like look, like there's moments where you expect better from your best guys. It has there been? But they but they need or, to be the standard, right? Because when you look at when they're yes. playing at their worst, their best players aren't their best players, right? So we've had this conversation. Sure, that's for sure. Right when they're playing their best, the top four playing top end defense, and it tri- it's that whole trickle down effect. We see it, right? If Matthews is playing good defensively, if Matthews is playing with a little bit of edge, everyone else seems to play that much taller. The same thing happens with defense when those four guys are playing top notch defense and keeping their play clean. Because I think it's very psychological. Your third line guys and your fourth line guys, we know aren't going to get the same minutes as your Tavares or as your Matthews, but they, they're still fighting for ice time on that bench. There are time, there are reasons why we see some periods where the camp line will start. Why? Because Keefe is rewarding them for their defensive play, and it's to get the big guys going. And you see it a lot when the team's not playing well, right? Like it, it's, I, it, it, it's obvious. Right, like I don't need numbers. I don't. It's it's simple eye test. When the big boys are playing well and on the defensive side of the game, that's when the rest of the team seems to rise. It's like all you know, rising waters raises all ships. The rising water really does start with that core four, and Michael Bunting, and then everyone else kind of elevates. They kind of just whatever. And we've seen it in the playoffs. What happens when those four guys aren't scoring? There's no other offense. But when they're playing well, everyone else seems to play that much bigger and taller. So I just, I want to see, and I know you're not going to get an 82-game season, 82 games of consistent play. I get it. So, you know, and I know that, you know, for some of our listeners, it's probably like nitpicking, but it's the nitpicking that that one bad play in the playoffs could cost you a game. That could be a goal against in the playoffs, or sorry, in, in, in overtime in the playoffs, in a game seven, right? It's it's that, it's those it's those nail in the coffin goals that we see this team give up in the playoffs that if you work on those little moments when it's not a big moment then you're prepared for when you're in those big moments you know how to respond to because you've seen it but if you don't exhibit good behavior then you're not going to get good results right and i I treat the guy And, and I guess that game in Boston is a perfect example of what you're saying is that where it's like, Hey, like, I know this is a regular season game, but you have a chance to, to play a, a division rival, the best team in the NHL on pace for the best point point percentage, like in history uh, to beat the points record. Sorry. And, and you, you had a lot of mistakes Yes. that, that don't give teams the opportunity to, the to beat you, let them beat you. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, and there's and, a difference. And I said that earlier. It's 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 it, there is a difference. It's it's did you lose or did they beat you? Yes, and, and I'm fine and with them losing the- to Boston two one, right? Like if that had turned out to be the final score and it was a tight checking game and as a lucky bounce or whatever. Well, fine. well, Pat, though, just to say though, if it was two one and it was still the same giveaway on the two one goal, then we we're still harping still be, on that same issue. We should still be harping on it. Yeah, right. It doesn't yeah. matter what the final score is. It matters how they're go- going. It, it's the process, right? It, the right? end result. It, it, the end result will 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 bear it itself out. It's the. It's always yeah. been the process with me, right? It's how you play those games. Um, speaking I, of yeah, process, I, I agree. Speaking of process, and it kind of leads to our, our top, our final topic. And it, it kind of like, officiating and the suspensions kind of go hand in hand. Um, but mm-hmm. 
there's been a lot of inconsistency and it's, and you know, I know this is a very leaf centric podcast and, you know, I know we're, we're dying to chomp and, and, and provide leaf examples, but as you start watching other games, you look at other highlight packs or you listen to some of the complaints that other local media and their, and, and fan bases, you know, are complaining about, I've never seen officiating this poor. And it seems to be getting worse the last couple. It seems to be getting worse as time goes on, right? Like every game has a controversial call, right? Like it's so hard. And and it's funny because people say, well, what do you know? Do you think the refs or do you think the league's against the Leafs or do you think they're the the league's for Leafs, which I I don't know how you could ever think the league is for Leafs if there was a conspiracy. But I, I truly believe that the NHL refs aren't that good to be conspiring. <laughs> like, I, they're just really bad. Yeah, oh, I just, I, you, you took the words right out of my mouth, Pat. I it's think not, it's, there's no I conspiracy it, against it, the it, Leafs. It, there's no conspiracy against the Florida Panthers. Um, there's no real, it's, they're just terrible. They, they are at their lowest point. The Leafs, the, the, the league's refereeing standard is at its lowest point that I can remember. Um, I don't know how long you guys have been watching hockey. I'm sure for a long time, like myself, it's it it is at its lowest point. But it, it, it's it, 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 it's but it's sad it's a, it, to see. But it, it's its own. Um, it doesn't do itself any justice, or the league doesn't do itself any justice when there's no accountability. When a coach calls out yeah. a, a coach calls out a bad call or a missed call. And they're fined. It's like you could be costing a coach his job. You could be costing a player his next contract. There are consequences with results. NHL is a results-driven entity. You win, you get a trophy. You lose, you're gonna lose your job. Or you may not, you know, you don't score as much. You, you know, like I don't understand how in a business where results matter like they do in the NHL, how there's no accountability for the guys that are supposed to be keeping the games managed. Like, we know game management's a thing. So a missed call leads to another missed call or a bad penalty for one team leads to a bad penalty. It's like, I don't, I'm just, I'm tired of it. Well, that's the thing though. Like, there's, there they need to just either go by, all right, are we going to go game management in, with our officiating or are we going to have like actually follow this thing we have called a rule book? It, it, it's that's where, I mean, the NHL has got to decide which way they want to go. It, that's, it's just the brass taxes of the matter. Aren't, aren't they kind of deciding right now, Ed, as we, as we see in the, in the way that the, in the way that the refs are, are doing are going and Gary Bettman has been on the record multiple times saying that they have the best referees in pro sports and oh, the game's I, never been better and it, it's it, it, it's, it's a it's Gary it's Bettman scary. being delusional I I, it, I agree ridiculous like it's I'm very scary to me that we are at a point where like Pat said what a refer let's let's before I even make this point if you Pat just gave his definition of what a referee should be. Ed, I'll give mine, but I want to hear yours. I'll, actually, I'll say mine first, and then I want to hear what you think are in the job description when they are looking and, you know, when they have a, you, you 
apply to a job on Indeed or whatever they want to call it, yeah. like whatever you site you want to use, no free ads, sorry. But <laughs> uh, when you do that, when you go and apply on a job, there's a job description for every role that you can apply to. As a referee, what does it say? Aside from the physical aspects that are needed to keep up with the NHL game, for me, the main job description is to enforce the rule book ad, as it is written. That's it. You are 100%. merely you you are merely not to me. I don't view refer, referees should not be what I what people like say they're humans. Like yes, human error, all that stuff. You are merely a, a machine that simply inputs, take like takes in rules, reads rules, understands rules, and your output is check if any rule is broken in the field of play when I'm refereeing a game. That is your job. That's all you have to do. I'm not like, I can't advocate as much as I'd like to advocate for perfection. It might, it's simply not possible unless they want to review every single thing, but it has gotten to a point where we're looking at a rule book and we're looking at the play and we're just seeing like, how is this even possible? We are at a point at at the worst point that I can remember in terms of the standard of officiating in this sport. And it's unfortunate because it is, and I hear stories all the time, it is trickling down towards minor hockey and junior hockey and, and, and parents are abusing officials and that, and that is keeping young people who want to become refs out of the sport because they're like, why am I going to go make 17 bucks an hour to, to get a, to get yelled at by a bunch of parents over their eight-year-old hockey game? There is a, I don't even just blame the refs at that point. Sometimes there's parents have to, in minor hockey levels, have to take ownership of that too. It is a, it is a bad time to be a referee and in a minor league level, but aside from that point, and we don't have to get into that obviously, but referees, these guys are pros. They are getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to ref the sport. And they are simply just not accountable. I call them the weathermen. They're, they're the weathermen. They get to be wrong at their job every day, but they get to keep it. That's that, like it, it, that, that's that's how I view it. How do you view it, Ed? I, I I'm in full agreement. Like it, a, a referee should exact be exactly what you described there. Uh, it's should be unbiased. Calls it by the book. Um, you know, as long as humans are involved with things, yeah, not, nothing's ever going to be a hundred percent. And. Uh, I don't, I don't agree with, I mean, I, I don't agree that everything has to be reviewed. I I do believe that uh, in all honesty, that there needs to be that kind of eye in the sky. Um, Not so much of a big brother, but just to have, like, we have these situation rooms, like you, you, you go to any arena there, there is an officiating crew up in a press box with umpteen camera angles for the game um there's just they they can help you know correct things that were missed um but it's just one of these things i we can't we need we need it to be called one like we need refs to do exactly what they're supposed to do um it and and it's got to be done unbiasedly Uh, there whether there's i mean you see 
with the comments made last night with uh, Maurice there, I mean, you know, there's, there's some bad blood between him and one of the officials from past, you know, there's previous disagreements they've had and that kind of stuff can't carry over, um, you know, it, when an official is calling a game and uh, I mean, like, how do you, I mean, then you, cause like, if you have to start managing all these personalities because they have grudges with said coaches or players, then, you, okay. So you can't have them officiating these games. So they'd have to officiate and that just turns into a daycare situation. But, I, but I think, but here's my problem with that. And I think that that's an easy cop-out for the league yeah. to say that certain refs have individual issues with either a coach or a specific team or whatever. I think it gives the league a cop-out, and here's why. When you set a standard across the board and you choose to not tolerate that behavior, right? It goes back to what I said about the Leafs, right? When they're playing their best, at the bottom gets raised, right? So your bottom gets raised, so everyone comes up. I think the league needs to look at raising the bottom when it comes to quality of their refing, because... I get the human element. I get there's going to be mistakes. That's but like I, I've grown to accept that there's going to be one or two, maybe three, and in some really poorly officiated games, three plus missed penalties, wrong penalties, a questionable goal taken back or a questionable goal allowed. Like the standard has become we're good with these errors. Because eventually it gets ironed out in the wash, right? But yeah. it becomes a, a permanent stain on the league, especially when now every second ad on TV is gambling. If you're a gambler and you can't trust that an official is going to officiate the game properly, why would you consider betting on a game? Yeah, exactly. You just said the, you just said the magic word there, Pat. That is the magic word gambling you right. want to be you want to be considered a legitimate sports league you you want people to gamble their money on your sport this just doesn't go to refereeing guys I, I i follow a lot of accounts that are betting on the league daily shot props how many shots does a guy have assists all this stuff and and a and a one of my also to add on to that one of my favorite follows cam Sharon who's a former lease employee, he's kind of got a good name for himself, a big name for himself, sorry, on lease Twitter recently because he does game notes and he's got that insider information. He works for The Athletic, all the stuff. He has been complaining himself about the quality of the and, and the data integrity that the NHL puts out there on their own games. There are guys that are betting on these leagues showing actual video of shots being taken by players in the, that they're betting on and the league's official record of it is as like a block shot or a face off or like like they're just it, it's so incorrect that this is what's happening across the league on a daily basis it's going unreported by the media obviously but and i'm not calling it a conspiracy like the like you just the unfortunate thing is you just don't have enough time the media doesn't have enough time and airway air, air to air time to spend their the, those precious moments talking about uh, 
Austin Matthews should have had five shots last night, not four. Right? They just can't yeah. talk about that. Yeah, that, 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 that like, we're, we're but, getting but, into but, the minutia, right? Like at that yeah, point, the minutia there, but like that exists. Still. Like what? Like that's something that is simple. Like you can solve that. It. My problem is that it's a simple fix by just having good data and good integrity with that kind of thing. That kind of solves it. Where the league actually, where the harder part is, is you get into the refereeing, and you want you want people to gamble your money and you had a, and you had to fire and make a referee. The, the uh, is, is martyr, the proper word. I don't, I don't know, but like what they did to Tim Peel basically from a couple years ago when he got caught on a mic saying, Hey, you knew I had to give, I think it was Nashville. Nashville was playing Detroit or something. And mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, like, like I had to give him the penalty. Right. Basically saying out loud, what we all knew game management. You yeah. want people gambling on your league? That is that it can't happen. It just can't. But happen. here's but here's the irony. Game management includes a, a keyword. It's the second word, management. By you, management includes accountability. Accountability, and then it also includes the understanding that rules need to apply, right? So there's a once again, it speaks to a standard. Right. So managing a game means you're going to want to raise the quality of said game. Right. And we're just, we're not seeing it. And it, it's, it's bad. Like I've come to expect at least one or two moments, maybe more, where I'm scratching my head saying, what is happening? Like, what am I seeing today? Like, I actually looked, I, I, I actually wait now to see what's going to come up in the next game. Like, it's just it's 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 comical. It is essentially comic relief. I just, well, yeah, like I, I think I said earlier, they're just they're they're finding a new low, like with every game that I'm watching. Yeah, like, and every it's, game it's I just right across the league, though. Powerful. That's the irony, right? Like, oh, it, oh that, that it's that is, brutal. It's, it's, like it is brutal. It is yeah. it is a league issue. It's not a leaf centric issue. Um, it's it's a league issue. It, it, and like I said, I, I it, it, it you know what. My whole understanding of, or my whole belief in in conspiracies is, it takes a lot of really smart people to do them. I I just I don't see enough smart people that are conspiring. Like I, I don't think it's like a match fixing thing. I don't think, you know, the league is against certain teams or pro certain team. I just don't think some of them even know what they're doing. And it's right. funny, like when a rule isn't written in stone, and and you 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 leave the ability for interpretation is where now we're starting to stick. Two referees don't interpret the same rule the same. It's either, it's either yes or no, right or wrong. Some of these are very much kind of cut in stone, no? Yeah, but like, that's the thing. Like these, the rules that are implemented, the rule book for the NHL, I mean, it, yes, there is a couple that I'm sure you can, well, I'm sure if you break down anything, it can be open to interpretation, but I mean, they, they make, they made the legit effort to implement these rules. And then they have these subsections of subsections of subsections that like clearly explain things thoroughly of how it's supposed to be like how, how the rule works and the whole breakdown of it. So like, that's the thing. It, it, it's it's clearly laid out in black and white it's just it that it just needs to be called that way it can't like well we doesn't, it, doesn't doesn't that go to 
everyone's argument come playoff time, why a playoff game is called differently than a, than a regular season game. Like, I why is there two rule books? No yeah, one, no one's giving me, no one's giving me a proper explanation why that's the case. No, and that's well, the well, thing. Pat, can can someone can someone provide me a copy of the playoff rule book? Because we no. know that I only know of one rule book that exists in black and white that that's written like Ed's talking about. Exactly. Does anyone right? have there, a copy just... of it? That this, this is my prime. We're saying the same thing. Our problem is to everyone that's listening is that it's not. It's not that like hey like our team has been on the bad end of the of of the way these games are called. It's just like I'm having trouble understanding the sport that I love so much and want to watch. Like explain it to me. And even if you're gonna call it the way that you're currently calling it. Have these freaking employees of yours stand in front of a mic like the other side of like the uh, like you make other employees do and answer some damn questions yes. about why you did what you did and why you said what you said, why you called what you called. Sheldon Keith has to stand in front of a mic when the team was sucking and people were asking if he's scared for his freaking job. Austin Matthews, William Nylander, I'm using just Leaf examples there because, like, again, this is a Leaf-centric podcast. They have to go in front of the media. They have to answer questions whether they think they're going to be traded, what, how their play is, why they're not playing good, why Austin Matthews hasn't scored. Mitch Marner, after they lose in a six-straight playoff series, those players have to go out and talk to the media. Why doesn't a referee have to stand in front of a mic and say, this, this, and this, I called it because X, Y, and Z. If you, even if you are wrong, and in the NBA, people that are fans of the, I'm not even a big fan of the NBA, but I, I, I'm a fan of them for one sole reason, is that they got that two-minute report. They have said in multiple occasions, countless times on these reports, yeah, we got that call wrong. But people don't bitch about it after. No, because they because respect they've it. Admitted, cause, yes. Cause they, yes, and they've admitted to their fault. That's all people want to see. And and people just don't want to be treated like they're dumb. And I think that's what Gary Bettman, one of Gary Bettman's biggest faults as commissioner of this league is that he it's thinks arrogance. that hockey fans that yep, that and and exactly. That's the exact word. He thinks that hockey fans are just plain stupid and all they care about is watching fights and watching guys punch their each other's faces in and goals and hits and all this stuff. Like what Give us some respect that we actually understand the incompetence that's but going the rest on of their, and the lack of accountability. My issue is you find a coach that's trying to hold your refs accountable. So you're making that coach. Here's the funny thing about accountability. And maybe he should have been fine, Pat. Maybe he said no, something no, but, that was but, over no, the but line. Anthony, let, let, let's, let's, let's peel this back one further. So they don't like when coaches call out refs. So they find the coach. Isn't that a form of accountability? Or players, or players, or, or players. Yeah, like, Isn't no, that a form of you accountability? Say anything. You can't say anything about the refs. You can't say anything about the refs. So, without fear of fine or, or repercussions. But yeah, that's accountability. That's how you establish accountability. When you remove that layer of criticism, you're no longer held to account. Because how can you be held to account when you can't be questioned on a mistake? Because I mean, all because because they're trying to keep it in house because they just don't think that we're that smart enough to no, realize we know. what's going on. But we know. So then, but so then, 
so maybe they okay so maybe they say like yeah we don't want people like for, I, I, again i'm not sure why they weren't fine but in the past month or so let's call it two let's call it two months you I, to, to my knowledge I, you've had at least two coaches accuse referees of being biased against them and having an actual bias implying that there's some sort of conspiracy fix going on against their teams they they have said that on the record in the media you've had um you've had another coach john tortorella and we were talking about this offline but we actually couldn't peg what he actually said but now i recall you've had another coach go on 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 the on camera and say that he doesn't even watch your all-star game he thinks it's a joke that's what Tortorella was talking about, guys. By the way, that's yeah, what I what we what we forgot. And he says that, and you're you don't find those coaches for some reason, but you'll find another coach for saying for keeping the rest accountable. Like there's there's saying. there's but, it it's the circling of the wagons around the refs that but then you the don't refs, see in any then, other aspect of their business. Yeah, but then a ref's not get. But then if a ref's not getting a game. Or not getting or, or banned from refereeing a certain team, let's say, or something that doesn't go public. Like they're they're not they're nothing is but, public about the refs. It, you you you're you you know their name because of a website called Scouting the Refs, right? I like they don't publicize anything, any discipline that goes on with these guys. But but that, but that's the problem, right? Like. If you have a problem with a ref or a bunch of refs that can't officiate a game because they have a certain personal grudge, that's your problem, right? Like, you have to correct it. It's a structural, it's an institutional issue, right? Like, that can be fixed. But I think once you allow one ref to get away with something, then you have to allow the next ref to get away with it. Right, and we see it in the hockey. How many times have you seen a game go out of hand because one team will get either all the power plays or all the penalties, and then it becomes a complete shit show of a game, and both benches are you know you could see that the the violence amp up, shot by shot. Yeah. Right. That's the problem. It's the domino effect that ruins the league's credibility. If you nip it in the butt, and it starts with accountability, but accountability comes with some honesty. But it comes with putting the referees in front of the camera and saying, this is where we screwed up. We will do better. Maybe not in front of the – yeah, like, like not to no. – but like it doesn't even have to be in front of the camera. Just make them write a report or put, put them in front of one media member and it's a print media rather than on the camera. And you just like say, like, yeah, this, like there was five calls that you made that we want to ask questions on. Can you explain to me, to us, why you made those calls? Yes. Have it written out. It's a, it goes on a report. It goes to your website like the NBA does. And people want to say, hey, that was kind of questionable. Why did Kale McCarr, uh, why did Nathan McKinnon interfere with a Detroit Red Wing player and Kale McCarr had the puck that caused interference and he went down and scored? And this is the reasoning. This is why we didn't call it. Right? And and there you go. It, you know or, what's funny? You know, to wrap up the show, because you know, we are, yeah. we are uh, really trending on this topic and we can go on for days discussing the refs. Um, but it has been a fun com- conversation, and I think more of these need to happen. Um, I think it. I th- absolutely. I don't. I don't know how big of a fight needs to happen for the problem to be corrected. But I would uh, to wrap. I guess to wrap it up for you know this before we we end the show. 
I would hate to have a mistake cost a Stanley Cup final and that becomes the narrative where we can't celebrate excellence because we have to question the result. That would be my biggest fear, that on the biggest platform, which is your playoffs, which is your, your, your league's finals, where two of your best teams are going at it to, you know, to see who's the top dog, and to have a call influence a series, I, I don't know how Lily can come back from it. Well, I mean, we have seen it. I mean, you look back what the Brett Hall goal against Buffalo when Dallas but, won. But, but, but that, you know what I mean? Like, it just, it really, it, but then that became, that's, we're still talking about it. Yeah. We're and not celebrating. Changes were put in place because of it. But we're not celebrating the win. That's now become, there, like, there's, you don't it's want to look back at your league and look at back at the Stanley Cup winners and have to start putting asterisks besides their name because what does that do it dims the excellence it dims the result it yep. dims the ability for us to look at that team and celebrate them for what they were because now we have to say well shit if tim peel didn't make that call or if carrie frazier didn't make that call in 93 would la have still beat the leaves you know what i mean like, Pat, it, 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 the problem is it doesn't they it's a constant problem with the nhl is that they just keep shooting themselves in the foot every time they don't let what sells their sport set, like be the story they don't they're, they don't, they're slow they, they're they, slow to a lot of they're slow to a lot of these issues like they're slow to the game just, it's just it's exhausting because i said it's, it's the best sport with the worst league it is because there are so much good things about hockey you talk to people that have like from non-traditional hockey markets that you would you would think like hey like there's no way this guy even knows like a single rule about hockey right or anything like that and they're they're coming from non-traditional markets and they in they they play a different sport like baseball or football or basketball and you ask them like w- like what what keeps your your tv on when you're when you're bored at home or you're watching something at home and they, and a lot you'd be surprised at how many people say the uh nhl playoffs stanley cup playoffs it is, it is a sport that gravitates with a lot of people because it's fast, it's energizing, it's physical. There's not a lot of stops in the game. It's loud, right? And, and what the NHL continues to do is it just creates controversy in its own little world. Where, yeah, where it's not needed. It's becoming a story that where it shouldn't even be a thought. Yeah. Like, People should not be watching a game and be like, yeah, yeah, that's the story, the interference call. Like, why wasn't like why wasn't that called or why was it called or whatever? When you should literally just be like, hey, you know what? Like, whoever, so and so won that night. Oh, there was a controversial call. Oh, I can just go to that two minute report and 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 see why they made that call. And then they'll read it. They'll accept the answer because like they were honest and treated like an adult. And they'll move on and they'll look forward yep. to the next game. They won't be talking about the stupid refs up until the next game where you should be talking about the, the, the exciting stories of what's to come as opposed to freaking refs. And this has been a, a very fun conversation. Um, to all our listeners, uh, we are running a Mitch Marner limited edition bobblehead contest on Twitter. 
I will be drawing a winner this upcoming weekend um, prior to Saturday's game. So be sure to look out for that. Gentlemen, it's always fun. We'll do this again. Uh, thanks again to all our listeners, to our sponsors. Thank you for you know, helping us grow our show. We're, we're definitely indebted to you all. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And, and look, look out for the contest and our new show next week. Cheers, everyone. Thank you.